This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Not bad, mate. Not bad at all. Can't complain. How about yourself? Sleep deprived, but yes, I'm good. Um, We were planning to record a podcast last week, and... As you will be aware, for those that listen every week, um, my uh, my partner went into labour and we have been blessed with a beautiful baby girl who is doing fantastically well seven days on. Uh, so she was born last Sunday, which obviously prevented us recording a podcast. But I've, uh, I've managed to sneak away for an hour from the nappies and from the, the bottles. Mum and baby are very healthy and happy. So really good Different week, um, but it was really weird because for the first time in a long time, I was just sat at home on Saturday watching the results come in. Um, obviously, normally I'm at Blackburn Rovers games, and if not, I'm usually watching another game or attending another match. So it was very strange. I can't say the last time I was in my house just with soccer Saturday on at 3pm on a Saturday. So that was that was quite interesting. Gave me a different angle and probably less research needed to do for the weekend. For this podcast so yeah it was it was different it's certainly been a different week that's for sure um but we're enjoying it everyone's happy and healthy and it's it's been quite the uh quite the whirlwind that's for sure as always remind to make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed which you can find on all your usual platforms and follow us on twitter and instagram at champ chat pod 24 and a massive thank you as always to our sponsors cards accepted for supporting the podcast this season if you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And on today's podcast, we've got another cracking weekend of championship action to break down, starting with the latest managerial change at Cardiff City. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. So, George, we're going to go to the breaking news from the weekend that Cardiff City have made a second managerial change of the season, sacking Mark Hudson, after 17 league games, they took 18 points in that time, winning just four times. And it was the one-all draw with Wigan Athletic on Saturday that proved to be the straw that broke the camel's back with the Cardiff City hierarchy. Of course, it was a game Cardiff were leading for large portions and it wasn't until a 96th minute equaliser that Wilkie netted, which obviously cost Cardiff two vital points and prevented them pulling further clear in the battle to avoid relegation. Um, they're only three points above the drop now after 28 games. And Hudson is the second manager to get the axe this season. Changes were made, you would have to say, from the Steve Morrison style. They tried to play more expansive, less direct, less gritty. But I felt like he never really had the players to, to really stamp that identity on the team. I think some of their better performers in the first half under Morrison, your likes of Ryan Alsop, uh, Ryan Wintle, not just players called Ryan, but that, that just is the sort of uh, coincidence there. Uh, I felt that they really were thriving under Morrison, albeit the league form wasn't brilliant. I thought it was a strange decision to sack Morrison at the time, in truth, not because he was particularly pulling up any, many trees or doing an amazing job, but obviously Cardiff had a massive squad overhaul in the summer. They changed a lot of their players. I can't remember what number it was that they ended up on, but 10-plus signings in the end. And to have only given him 11 matches of the season, 
to then sack him, I thought was a bit weird. Unless you got someone in mind you were really going to go out with and, and stamp your authority with and say he's our man. They didn't really ever do that with Hudson. He sort of came in. Obviously, we've had off the field problems with the transfer embargo, which have, have now sort of resolved themselves a little bit more with the first instalment of the field for Emiliano Sala paid, which means Cardiff can. Um, register players again and sign players this month. There is a limit on what they can pay in terms of transfer fees. So off the pitch, I think those distractions gave Hudson more of an opportunity to get the job. Someone the club knew very well, who's obviously been in interim charge before. But it never felt like the club were solely sold on him. And I think the fact they've made a change after 17 games proves that. It, it just goes back to me that why did you sack Morrison in the first place, really? Because the results have been very similar and you were clearly not sold that Hudson was a massive upgrade because the, you know it wasn't like they announced him instantly that he was going to take over on a five-year deal or, or a three-year deal, whatever. It seemed like he was in the right place at the right time and therefore got the job. And that's not the way to recruit managers, in my opinion, particularly when the manager you've currently got has just had a summer where you've, you've built the squad for him, essentially, or you've certainly overhauled the squad. So it takes a while to get the right system, to get the players to gel, to get the right connections in the squad. So for me, for Cardiff City, it's, it's what is the, going to be the identity of the football club because since Neil Warnock left, feels like they've lurched from manager to manager a little bit with Neil Harris, of course, who's now you know at the bottom of the EFL with Gillingham. Um, of course, Morrison hasn't is, is not in work. He's not been snapped up instantly since leaving. And then you've got Mark Hudson, who... Seems a great guy, a good character, someone who might have a good coaching career, but hadn't got a lot on his CV to suggest you should hang your hat on him and, and rip up the playbook by getting rid of Morrison. So for me, I think the Cardiff City hierarchy have to take some criticism for that. I think it's not the greatest squad. Even when they signed a lot of players, and some of them were good signings, I never saw them finishing above sort of the bottom eight, and me and you both put them in that sort of area in our preseason predictions. I saw some go a lot higher because they saw a lot of new players coming in, but I don't think the quality of this squad is is much better than bottom third of the championship, really. So they need to find a manager that, in my opinion, that can elevate that, can get the maximum out of each player, and use the sprinkling of stardust they've got, like a Callum Robinson, for example, like a Joe Rolls in midfield, good championship players that can elevate this team because. They're already in a relegation scrap and with Rotherham obviously turning a fantastic performance, which we'll talk about soon, um, with Huddersfield starting to pick up points a little bit more consistently and then with other teams in and around them also looking to pull clear, they could easily be one that drops right into the mire. I think you've hit the nail on the head with most of that. To be honest with you, I think, you know, going back to when Mark Hudson got the job, Initially on a caretaker basis, it must be remembered that was it to begin with. But I didn't understand the, the you know the decision to go. <coughs> excuse me, I didn't understand the decision to go with him on a full time basis to begin with. I thought it was a very strange appointment. You know, it wasn't one that you know filled me with much confidence. You know, they obviously had a really difficult start to the season, and at that point, you thought they need a manager to come in, albeit early in the campaign, that you know could steady the ship a little bit, bit of experience and. Obviously, Mark Hudson, he knows the club inside out from his playing days and that's probably what, you know, lent towards the decision given him the job. But it never really made much sense from the outset, to be honest with you. And ultimately, I'm not surprised that, you know, it it has come so early on into the new year that he, he's been shown the door. So, 
for Cardiff, I think, obviously, they've got a really, really big decision to make now and where they go with this next move. At the minute, looking at the bookies' odds, I've looked at them literally 20 minutes ago as we record on Sunday evening, and Neil Warnock is the favourite at the minute to go back. I think the chances of it happening are slim, to be honest. I do think he has, you know, I know you can never say no, but I do think he has finally called it a day at long last. Other names on the list were Dean Smith, Mark Warburton, even, even Dean Whitehead was on the list as in the former Sunderland and Middlesbrough midfielder, which I thought was quite interesting. But for me, I think personally, they need somebody, you know, with experienced hands, good knowledge of the championship for the position that they're in. But at the same time, I think they're in a position now where do they go for a long-term appointment in the sense of somebody that can come in, build the club back up, say towards taking them back to the Premier League over a X period of time, or do they look to somebody who comes in now for you know four or five months, keeps them in the division, keeps their head above water, and then take it from there in the summer? We've seen with West Brom, we've seen with Middlesbrough, there is still time you know to completely transform fortunes, but that Cardiff squad to me is very very poor. It's a really poor squad, with the exception of the odd sprinkling of magic. And I said it at the time in the summer. Yeah, it looks really good when you see the amount of signs that they've brought in. Really excited, obviously being you know for a fan of any football club, if you have a busy summer, you're always excited ahead of the new season, regardless of who you are, what league you're in, whatever. But that transfer window for Cardiff in the summer was significantly quantity over quality. And it was in, in just about every department of it. You know, they were, you know, with the exception maybe of one or two, they they were standard average championship players. Not to say they're bad players, but they were nothing to really excite and think, oh, Cardiff could be outsiders of the playoffs here. And I've just looked back at my pre-season predictions and I went with Cardiff in 17th, which, to be fair, doesn't look too ridiculous now. So I think they've got a really difficult decision to make, whether they go with a, a long-term appointment to try and build the football club back up with a long-term vision or a short-term fix. So I think it's been really interesting to see what they do. Personally, I think they need to try and do it quickly, you know, with a couple of weeks to go in the transfer window. If they, you know, you've got to try and adhere to the manager's needs of who's going to be working with these players. So ideally, they you know, they'd like to try and sure get a manager in this coming week, get it done as quickly as they can. Obviously, they've got a FA Cup replay at Leeds in midweek on Wednesday night, so might not be done in time for that, but possibly by next weekend, they might be able to get something in place. So, really difficult time for Cardiff, and as you said, there's others beneath them, Huddersfield in the main, that have just started to come alive a little bit, rather than with a big win at the weekend. So, for me, you know, Cardiff are right in the in the midst of this relegation battle. And, you know, at the minute, they do look like ones that could be dragged right into it. You look at their current run of form and it's it's absolutely atrocious. They've not won since bonfire night. And, you know, it's now the 15th of January as we record this. So they've gone more than two months without a win. Obviously, we've had the World Cup pause in between, but they've not won since we resumed after the World Cup. But on the flip side, they've only lost one of their last six since the World Cup, drawing five. This is where the problem is. They're not being beaten up in games. They're just having that lack of quality to find a way to get the win. Obviously, they were so close against Wigan at the weekend. So, I think the biggest concern for Cardiff is obviously a lack of goals. That's the real concern. You look at their tally of goals this season and it's it's worse than I thought it was. It's 21 scored in 27 games. That is really, really poor. So, it's obvious where they need to add this month. But, obviously, they've got to get a manager in as quickly as, as possible so, as I say, to adhere to his needs in the, in the transfer window. So, a big period for Cardiff, but at the minute, you know, at the moment, it, it doesn't look great for them. I, I do fear for them. 
I think there's quite obvious answers to all the things that you've put through there. I think they've got to go for someone long-term and try and build something. They have lurched from manager to manager, short-term project to short-term project since Neil Warnock left. I don't think they should bring in Neil Warnock. They are not six points adrift of safety at the bottom of the league. They are not even in the relegation zone. Don't get me wrong, they've been appalling recently since the World Cup break, as you've just alluded to. But they've got to be a bit more ambitious and go for someone that can build a project. I think there's someone really obvious out there that would be a really, really good fit for this. And I've just had a look at the betting while you were talking there, and he's 22-1 to 1 for the job, which I find quite outstanding. And I think well, that's man. Liam Richardson. I think he would be a fantastic yeah. fit for this squad. I think he's shown that he's able to deal with off-field issues like he did at Wigan. He's won a League One title. He's also saved Wigan from relegation. And his football at Wigan was more attritional, which I think would more suit this style of player within the Cardiff squad. But he can get results. And I also think he's a manager that can get the maximum out of each player and elevate their position. So for me, I think Liam Richardson would be a fantastic fit for this squad. I think he would fit for the football club as well. I just I just think that he's the sort of figure that Cardiff feel to me like a football club where they're probably never going to have the best players in the division. So the manager being the most influential person or the person that the fans love the most is quite a good fit. And I think he's that sort of character where I know Wigan fans were certainly very very uh, affectionate towards him. They, they, you know, they, they had a tight bond between fan and manager. And I think he would be a fantastic fit. So to see some of the other names ahead of him in the betting order, it's quite astounding. But as we know, never. The, the betting means absolutely nothing. It is only based around who is being backed by punters. So I would throw Liam Richardson in as the ideal fit. Personally, I would say someone like Neil Warnock is the wrong appointment at this time. There's still plenty of time left in the season. If they were in Huddersfield's position, for example, before uh, the recent couple of wins, then yeah, I get that totally. But they're not in the relegation zone. You know, a couple of wins can drag you right up the table. Be a bit more ambitious. Go for someone that you believe can can come in on a three-year deal and really give you a, an identity, a style of play, and get the maximum out of this squad. Biggest winners of the weekend, George, looking at the action, was Rotherham United. 4-0 victors over Blackburn Rovers. Rotherham probably been the worst team in the championship over the last 10 games. And so it's quite fitting that obviously this Blackburn side, somehow third in the league, go and get absolutely turned over at the New York Stadium. A huge win for Rotherham. And I certainly want to focus on the Millers. Change of system from Matt Taylor. Went away from the 3-5-2, which they played for pretty much two years now under Paul Warren and then under Taylor. He kept that continuity. But a switch to 4-3-3 with Ogbeni on the right. Ferguson on the left, Washington down the middle and a midfield three of Barlazer, Rathbone and a Dauphin. And of course, it was a Dauphin that scored the opening goal after 32 seconds. Now, that always gives you an instant boost. Of course, it does. It helps set the tone. It gives you gives you energy to be on the front foot and adrenaline. And Rotherham, I just thought they looked far more like a Paul Warren team or certainly the attributes of a Paul Warren team where they pressed really high. They were far more aggressive, a little bit more direct. And the players looked like they were a lot more confident. And obviously that that is helped by an early goal. And when you Rotherham were brilliant, don't get me wrong, but you do have to say there's a touch of fortune in the first two goals. You know, two really good goals, low XG, one that smashes it in off the underside of the bar, and one that comes after 32 seconds. It's not going to happen for you every game, but it set Rotherham up brilliantly. But once that second goal went in, I thought they absolutely dominated because the first half, I actually think it was quite even. I think Blackburn had three really good opportunities to get themselves level. It probably should have been one all at half time on the balance of play and the balance of chances. 
But as soon as that Ollie Rathbone goal flies in off the, the crossbar, brilliant strike, they absolutely dominated and, and bullied Blackburn Rovers, which is not the first time that's happened this season by any means, and we will come on to them. But I thought Rotherham were fantastic. They played on the front foot. They were direct. They were aggressive. They took the chances. They were clinical. Um, Sean Morrison, obviously, signed this week on a short-term deal to the end of the season. Now he's fit again after a cruciate ligament injury. He was man of the match on debut. Hedge came in at left-back on loan from Leeds United, can play sort of left-sided centre-half or left-back. Went to a back four. He played there rather than someone like Bramall, who obviously is a lot more better at offensively. So that gave them a lot more st- stability. Sean Morrison is just a really good fit for Rotherham. He feels like Richard Wood of five years ago almost, but obviously a little bit taller. He'll win headers. Yes, he's not going to play too high up the pitch, but it's the sort of leader and character and resilient warrior that they're going to need if they're going to get out of this relegation battle. Far, far closer a level of performance as we saw in the opening stages of the season under Paul Warren and a fantastic win to come out 4-0 victors over Blackburn Rovers. Yeah, it was a result they desperately needed, wasn't it? You know, looking at this coming at the weekend we've just had, I would say on paper it was, you know, the team that needed a win more than anyone else really because they've been on such a slump, hadn't they? Not won since beating Sheffield United on the 8th of November. Can't believe that was that long ago. It doesn't seem five minutes ago to be fair, but you have obviously been on a really difficult run. Obviously, they'd lost two games over over Christmas, uh, over Christmas, losing to Huddersfield and then to Millwall. Obviously, they've been struggling for goals. And then they all come at once. So, for Rotherham, like you say, the formation change paid dividends. I didn't I didn't see the game in full because I, w- I was working. Obviously, all focus for me was on the Manchester derby. But I did watch the highlights on Saturday evening and was very impressed with Rotherham. You know, they from what I saw, you know, the short clips, they dominated the game. They had the better of the chances and they really they made mincemeat of Blackburn Rovers, to be fair. And for Matt Taylor, it must be a huge relief because they have been on a really, really poor foot run of form since that win at Bramall Lane, which you thought back then would have transpired into it, you know, a, a really good run of form. You would have thought they'd have got the confidence from that to kick on and go go steaming on. But it's not been the case. But they've got back to winning ways with a with a really good result. And you know, Blackburn, we know have been a very, very funny side this season. It's probably the most bizarre sequence of results I think I've ever seen from a championship team, certainly the position they're in. So to beat a team that was third at the start of the day, 4-0, when you're near the bottom, is going to do wonders for confidence. So the challenge for Rotherham now is to try and maintain it and turn the New York Stadium back into something of a fortress. You know, even though it's not been all plain sailing for Rotherham lately, they have, on the plus side, taken four points from the last two games at home which does suggest perhaps they are going to start and turn the New York back into a, a place that they can pick up points more frequently after a dip in results. So I think for Matt Taylor now, he's got to look at it and think, yep, yeah, I've got Sean Morrison through the door, a strong, dependable figure, very experienced. He will make a difference to that Rotherham backline, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, Sean Morrison, you know, he's been, you know, he's been, he's been one of the, up until his injury, probably considers one of the top level centre backs in the championship over you know a five year period. To be fair to him, when he came, when he was at Reading, he was quite good. Went to Cardiff, you know, really kicked on, helped them get into the Premier League as well under Warnock. So they've got a good player there, rather than a free transfer. And the best thing about him is he's only thirty two, literally turned thirty two last week. So he's in a good position that way. Hopefully, he can you know not have any comebacks from his injury and can you know keep fit. So I think for Matt Taylor now, the challenge is obviously number one, 
try and build on his victory and try and get a little bit of momentum, try and put a little bit of daylight between themselves and the bottom three. And secondly, what else did they still need to do this month? Because there are certainly areas they still need to add to. One 4-0 victory shouldn't mask over the fact that goals have been an issue in recent weeks. So for me, they do need some extra firepower. There's a lot of speculation about Barlasa going to Middlesbrough, speculation about Ogbeni's future. It's imperative that they keep hold of those two because we've said, haven't we, throughout the season, those two are the, are the key players that you know have been key to any hopes Rotherham have of staying up. So to lose either of them in this month's transfer window would be devastating. So that you know, there's kind of a few things that Matt Taylor's got to one try and push his squad two and two hope and pray for really. So it's going to be a difficult period for him in that sense, but a brilliant win for them at the weekend, one they thoroughly deserved. But for Blackburn Rovers, as I'm sure you can pick up the baton with your with your inside knowledge on Rovers, even though obviously you weren't there at the weekend, it's it's um, a bit of a mauling for them and it's bizarre sequence of results just doesn't seem any any kind of slowing down at all, does it? No, they they were battered in the second half. They play I thought they played okay in the first half, probably deserved to be level. Obviously Ryan Hedges had a very good chance saved by Victor Johansson. Um Bradley Dak had a decent opportunity of a header. And I thought they played alright in generally in possession. They, they they played through the press quite well at times. I thought Bradley Dak was very good. But once it went to two nil they absolutely crumbled. And that is not the first time this has happened this season by any means. They're yet to take a point from losing positions this season. And when you think how many games they've lost, what are we on now? 14 games they've lost this season? Um, no, 13. 15 and 13, I think they are. 14 wins, 13 defeats. For, sorry, 14 wins, 13 defeats. So it's 13. They've had 13 opportunities to come back from behind and they haven't taken a single point they haven't scored a single equalising goal this season either. Never mind, gone on to then get a point. And the only exactly. other side to do that in the championship is Rotherham. And obviously Rotherham haven't lost as many games as Blackburn, I don't exactly think, despite where they are. When you look at this league table... They are a statistical experiment this season, I, Blackburn. It's absolutely bonkers. This. I'll admit, I've not studied the league table that closely since the weekend's games. Blackburn Rovers currently in, you know, a healthy fifth place. Any Rovers fan would have took that back at the you know the first weekend of the season at the end of July. Then you look at the losing column. <laughs> Only Huddersfield and Wigan have lost more and they're in the relegation zone. It's absolutely bonkers. The fact that they are now 27 games in and have not drawn a single game is absolutely ridiculous, to be quite honest. But you get the feeling now, and you know, at the start of the season when things were going well for Blackburn, when you know they were a little bit more consistent with the wins. We were obviously waxing lyrical about them, gave them a real good chance to get into the top six this year. At the moment, even though they're still very much in the conversation, I would be leaning towards being more favourable than missing out than getting in. I agree. They just, you know, they can have one good result and then the next game they are a complete car crash. I think the thing is the manner of the results in quite a lot of games. You look at the Burnley game, you look at the Preston game, and you have to question the character of this group. It is a very young squad. They have That's, got injuries at the moment. Well, I was going to say it's a very youthful group. But and they will, you've, you know, in the long run, they probably will learn from this. But it is a young squad. Right now, I, I don't think they will make the playoffs, unfortunately, unless there's some movement so. in yeah. January. They obviously are trying to sign a forward player, a versatile forward player. Joe Gelhard is someone they are interested in. Um, story on Lanks Live today, if you yeah, want a little yeah. bit more information on that from myself. One of the, 
one of the concerns for me is as well, obviously I know he didn't play at the weekend due to family issues, but the goals for Brereton Diaz have dried up quite Definitely. a bit for his standard. So, you know, and they've not really got anyone else who, you know, you can rely on most weeks to chip in like he does. So beyond all Thomas, and that's a bit of a conundrum he's got to try and solve. I mean, he's not he's not scored Brereton Diaz since bonfire night. You know, he's, he's got three assists since then. So he has, you know, he's played his part in creating goals. But for him, he'll, he'll be disappointed with the fact that the goals have dried up. So that's having an effect on them. So it's just such a bizarre, bizarre season they're having. But they're still in there. But at the minute, I can't see them staying there for too much longer, to be honest. But I One team that I definitely think will stay there, George, that's West Bromwich Albion. And they came from two goals down at Luton Town to win 3-2. A fantastic comeback for the Baggies, who are now in the playoff places. Some numbers for you, George. After They had 14 points after 16 games. Um, now, they've taken 27 out of their next 36 available, and they are sixth in the league after 28 games. A truly astonishing turnaround from Carlos Corberan, and they showed fantastic character to come from behind to win this match against the Luton side that are not easy to play against. Certainly the form has been better at Kenilworth Road recently under under Rob Edwards. And they did create plenty of chances, though, to get back in. Obviously, there was a touch of fortune with the goal for 2-1 that cannoned off Daryl DK, although he was he did well to shut down Ethan Horvath. And then it's a really good header from O'Shea and, and Townsend turns in as well. Uh, sorry, not header from O'Shea. It was turned in by Malumbi. And then... Uh, turned in by Townsend at the uh, the back post to to make it three two. And when you look at the expected goals, no one created more a higher level of expected goals than West Brom at the weekend with two point nine two. Luton were 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 good. They played well, and and this was a game between two top sides. But right now, George, there's a lot of noise around Middlesbrough, and they're very good. But if you told me you can bet on one team to finish in those four playoff places behind Sheffield United and Burnley, my money would go on West Brom and Chalbion for sure. Yeah, I think I have to agree with that. The the transformation has been quite remarkable. I mean, you've chucked out some numbers there a minute ago and just to go back to what you said there, I actually put a tweet out on the on the podcast page today, Sunday, and like like I said here on you know, Carlos Cobram was appointed on the twenty third of October. They were twenty third with fourteen points. Come the fifteenth of January, they're now sixth on forty one. It's a remarkable transformation. And you know, in some ways, even though it's you know it's happened a little bit later down the line, it's similar to what Steve Cooper did in Nottingham Forest last season. He's come in when they were a complete mess and you know a sinking ship, and within literally within days, he, he's kickstarted a revolution. And the the form that they've been under has been absolutely unbelievable. And the fact that they came back from two 0 down against a Luton side that obviously have have got the same goals as them this season and have been in good form themselves. Is testament to them, and you know the quality West Brom have got. There is no reason why they shouldn't be in that top six come the end of the season. They've got a very good group of players, a very good set of experienced Championship players, and you know Daryl DK. All right, his goal at the weekend was a little bit scruffy, but they all count. But he's been he's been virtually like a new signing in the last few weeks of the way he's come back to form from his injury. So Carlos Corbran, you know, he's he's found a player that he looks as though he's going to be able to get goals out of. Brandon Thomas Asante, he's been good in, in recent weeks. He's been chipping in with the goals. And, you know, there's others in that those attacking areas, Jed Wallace, Carlin Grant, John Swift, that are capable of delivering as well. So, you know, 
really, you look at that West Brom squad and it is, on paper, probably one of the best squads in the league. To be fair, it probably just needs a few tweaks probably for the end of the window here and there. But overall, Corbrand's got a very good group of players there to work with. But on a personal note on him, I think we've been left with egg on our faces, haven't we? When he got the job, because we both said that we thought, you know, he would have an impact there, but it would come over a, a lengthy period of time, similar to what Huddersfield, where he'd want to, you know, go in, implement a philosophy slowly, and then it would slowly come good. But obviously, he's working with a much better group of players here than he was at Huddersfield, and no disrespect to Huddersfield with that, West Brom are a significantly better side. And, you know, when you've got players like I've reeled off a moment ago, like your Swifts, your Wallaces, your DKs, you are going to be able to do damage in this league. And that's what West Brom are doing at the minute. And the run that they've been on it is absolutely tremendous. And, you know, you look ahead to their next crop of games. Obviously, they've got a, an FA Cup replay with Chesterfield to come in the week. But then they've got a massive game on Friday night, Burnley away. And, I mean, realistically, on paper, that should be an absolute cracker, that one. That should be the game of the weekend on current form with the way things are going. And, you know, Burnley have won the last eight at Turf Moor. They've been flying. But I would not bet against West Brom going there and pulling off a shock. So, really interesting ties with West Brom. Look, a brilliant side. Confidence is obviously absolutely flowing out of them. And, like you said, I think, if you know, if I had five quid in my hand now to put a bet on who I think could finish in the top six of the teams, you know, in contention, I would definitely be putting on West Brom because I, I just cannot see them now dropping out they, they look brilliant, the banging form, and Carlos Corbran, you never know, could could he go one better than last season with missing out in the playoff final? I think it's certainly possible this time. I certainly wouldn't bet against them and, and West Brom only going in one direction at the moment. Big afternoon for Norwich City as well, George. They ran out 4-0 winners in David Wagner's first game in charge against Preston North End at Deepdale. Obviously, they got off to a fantastic start with, with three goals in the first 28 minutes. Um, a brace for Kieran Dowell, who's back in the fold, and a, a goal for Timo Puki. Interesting with Kieran Dowell because he always feels to me someone that should be playing at the top end of the championship. Now, I know he's lacked consistency at times, but I think especially for a team like Norwich, who are so clearly missing a spark, a, an Emmy Buendia-shaped hole still in the squad, I'm not saying he's anywhere near that level or, or even the same type of player in the way he plays, but, but that injection of creativity that Dowell undoubtedly has... I definitely think there's a place for him in this Norwich team to thrive if he can then produce the goods consistency-wise. He didn't really get much of a look in under um, Dean Smith. He certainly wasn't one of his first-choice picks. And I just thought he he made a bit of a difference. Obviously, it's easy to say it when he scored two goals, the first of which was a stunner. But I thought that he knitted play together very nicely. I'm pretty sure he was involved in the first goal as well, which Pukki scored. And... I think there's a definitely a role for him in the team. It was interesting to look at the team selection, really, because the back four was very much the same. Tim Krull got the nod in goal, uh, as he did in the FA Cup against Blackburn, although we didn't know if that was just rotation. But he looks like he's going to be the number one again instead of Angus Gunn. Then Onel Hernandez thrown back in. And players like Hernandez and, and Dowell, it just feels like they're looking to be a little bit more direct. And I don't mean that in terms of playing long passes. I just mean use the pace of your players to get in behind Pookie in the middle, flanked by Sargent and flanked by Hernandez, play a little bit quicker, a little bit less one-paced and possession-heavy as they were under Dean Smith. And this is as good a start as you can get. Now, obviously, I, there's still plenty to do at Norwich. I'm not still obviously not overly sold on the appointment based on one game. 
But this was as good as it could get for Norwich City. Obviously, a lot of these players have been underperforming and playing below their level. So we were bound to see a reaction at some point. But credit where credit is due, that is as good as you can get for your managerial debut for a new club. Yeah, it was certainly the start David Wagner would have dreamt of when he went to bed on, on Friday evening. Obviously, he'd, he'd lost his first game in the in the FA Cup, but as, first as, you know, as far as his first league game went, he couldn't have asked for better. And, you know, I looked at that game on Saturday morning and I thought, could go either way that one. Preston, poor at home. Norwich, been poor recently, but the new manager bounce might influence something. And what a performance it was. It was, without doubt, the best they've played all season. You know, the highlights made a really, you know, a really good view of Norwich. They portrayed them in a really good light. And, you know, you could see that just that the, the, the slight changes had such an impact. It was unbelievable, really. And Kieran Dowell, you know, he came in. And I like Kieran Dowell. He's a good player. I remember him when he was at Wigan. I really liked him then. And, you know, for Norwich, he's been up and down, really, in his fortunes there. But under Wagner, it seems like he might have a big role to play. And Timu Puki. He looked like the team of Pookie of old as well. You know, two very different types of finish. Assist as well for for Dowell's second with a you know with a low pass across the face of goal for him to tap in. So David Wagner has obviously gone in like any manager does, switched a few little things up, and all his cards fell into place quite nicely. So a really good start, but at the minute that's nothing more than it is. It is a start. It is a starting point. It's the perfect start he could have made. They've got Coventry away next weekend. Not an easy game. Live on Sky, so it's another game on the road for, for them. So that won't be easy. But, you know, for a first game, a 4-0 away win. Some very good individual performance, I think it must be said, from a good three or four players with some really eye-catching displays individually. Obviously, collectively, it all came together perfectly. You know, David Wagner, personally... I am a big fan of him. I, I really admired the job he did at Huddersfield. I thought it was absolutely criminal that they sacked him when they did. I thought that was so wrong after all that he'd done for them. So I do think, you know, it's got the potential to work. Whether Norwich fans think it's the right appointment right now because obviously they were just so desperate to see the back of Dean Smith. But I think they could have done a hell of a lot worse, to be honest. You know, Wagner, he knows the league well. He's got a promotion on his CV out of this league. He's managing the Premier League. But Dean Smith, of course, you know, he got the exact same achievements on his CV. So you can weigh them both up together. But a start score, it was a good one. Obviously, the challenge is to see if they can continue it. But from what I saw, you know, albeit against a Preston team that have been struggling at home, you must factor that in. But you can only beat what's in front of you. And I thought Norwich looked very, very good collectively, both individually as well with certain performances. Dowell and Pookie, obviously, the, the pick of the bunch. Very impressive from those two. So... You know, they're still very much in a wide-open playoff race. They're only two points off. Let's see if they can put something of a run together. Preston, bit of a head-scratcher, particularly at Deepdale. They've taken 13 points from 14 games at home and only scored eight goals, which is the lowest total of goals by some distance as well. And yet, they've got 24 points from 13 on the road. What's that all about? Is it... The fact that they struggle to take the initiative in matches and, and play on the front foot. But then when I saw them play at, at Ewood Park, the fact they were the away team, it wasn't like they scored all their goals on counter-attacks in transition. They absolutely dominated the game. So I just don't understand what that is. And generally, we're used to Preston being a very strong home team and struggling away. So 
I don't really understand stylistically. There's no obvious reason to me why this team would be better on the counter-attack, why they would be better in transition or anything like that. They just seem to be turning it on away from home and, and just really struggling for any sort of, not just wins, but creativity, goals, which is just a, it's just a very bizarre scenario, I think. It, it is weird. I mean, when you look at it, there's only Blackpool, Stoke and Wigan that have picked up fewer points at home this season than Preston, and they are the lowest goal scorers at home. They're the only team that are yet to get into double figures for goals scored of their own patch. You know, so 13 points at home from four, from 14 games, it's it's pretty abysmal when, you know, down the years, certainly recently, Deepdale has been widely regarded as one of the, you know, the toughest places to go in the championship, to be fair. And I mean, last season, they picked up 37 points on their own patch. They only lost four home games all season. Uh, only Bournemouth and West Brom lost fewer than that at home last season. So, you know, it's really strange, like you say, that there's been such a contrast when they are not necessarily a team that you, you know, sort of familiarise yourself with as a team packed full of pace and trickery to cause problems on the count away from home. Like you said, against Blackburn, they were, you know, they were the dominant force in that game. So certainly a head scratcher for Ryan Lowe. And it's one that he's got to solve because, you know, regardless of what your ambitions are for the season, I don't think for two minutes they're going to be sucked into a relegation battle. But you want to be, you know, at least putting on a show for your fans at home. And at the minute, they're just not doing that. That's three home defeats on the trot, I think it is now. As you say, struggling for goals. And, you know, after what happened at the weekend, it, it, there isn't there seems to be much end of that in sight. Very strange. It now, two, the two automatic promotion contenders, George, Sheffield United and Burnley. First, Sheffield United, they beat Stoke City 3-1. Blades continuing their march towards the Premier League with another good win. Starting to flesh out their squad a little bit more now. We've seen players come back from injury. Max Lowe and Jaden Bogle for uh, for one at wing-back. And it was Bogle that obviously got a brace in this match. Um, Eliminate Dye up in the scoring with his first goal uh, for a little while. It'd been a longer goal drought than I'd realised for Ndai, but obviously still been central to creating goals and causing havoc for Sheffield United. Um, and then Bogle got his first goal, which was a, a little bit fortunate deflecting off the defender, but nonetheless, he just looked sharp. And he was in really good form, Jaden Bogle, before he got injured and he, he'd broken into the Sheffield United team, got that really bad knee injury. Now it looks like he's, he's starting to work his way back in. And I think they've now got two good wing-backs on either side, haven't they? When you think they've got Stevens and Lowe, who are the probably... Stevens and Bollock are the two more steady eddies, two that have got more experience. But then you've got exciting talents like Lowe and Bogle who can really um, stamp their authority. Of course, they've got Reese Norrington Davis as well, although he's played left centre back for most of the season when fit. So Sheffield United starting to get some more defensive options. I think Bogle almost gives them an extra attacker because he's so good going forward. He's almost like if you're going to play a five at the back, you don't want both your wing backs to be conservative. And if they played Stevens on one side and Bogle on the other, I think that would work because it naturally gives them um, a more attacking option with Bogle. He got a brace, two well-taken goals. Interesting one. Since the World Cup break, Sheffield United have been surrendering a lot more possession in their games. For example, they only have 45% possession against Stoke. I don't really know why, and it's not really affecting results, but it's just an interesting quirk. If you look at the possession stats before the break and since the break, They've, they've dropped off and I haven't got a clue why and it's not affecting results or anything but just an interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But it's not doing them any harm. That's the bottom line of it. It's not doing them any harm. You know, the Blades, for me, I know this could be famous last words, it could, could back to mind but for me, them and Burnley are up. 
I think they're already over the hill, hill and far away. I really do think they are both, you know, already preparing to, you know, pop open the champagne bottles, to be honest with you. I think the job is done, to be fair. And it's very, very, you know, rare to say that in mid-January. But I've been so impressed with the way things have gone for them in, in recent months. And there's just no sign of it stopping. Their home form is absolutely tremendous. Same as Burnley's. And, you know, I think every time you expect them to go onto the pitch now, you expect them to win. And, you know, obviously their, their unbeaten run was on the line at QPR a couple of weeks ago. They managed to pull that back very, very late on literally the last kick of the game. So for, for the Blades, I just think they've just got to continue what they're doing. They're coasting. They're doing really, really well. And I think the big thing for me, which, you know, really does kind of epitomise that this team, what Paul Heckingbottom has built, is a united team and it is a squad that is, you know, fighting for each other, is the amount of goals that everybody's chipping in with. This is the key thing. Nearly everybody in that squad has scored at some point this season. I mean, Amma Hodzic has got four, Egan's got two, Jaden Bogle's got three in his last two games, considering the cup game. Sander Berger's got four, Njai ten, McAtee three, Norwood got a couple. You know, McBurney's got nine. The, the list goes on. And when you've got players that are constantly chipping in, you've got, a, you know, an elite-level championship player in, in NJ at the top end of the pitch. You've got everything that you could wish for in a, in a, in a team going for promotion. So, Paul Heckingbottom, I mean, considering when he got the job, the Blades fans, a lot of them were up in arms about it. They were absolutely furious that they'd gone for him, having gone from Djukanovic, although it didn't work, you know, who was a, a promotion expert at this level, to somebody who had, you know... Obviously, got promotions on the CV at Barnsley out of League One. Had a stint at Leeds in the Championship previously. Obviously, Barnsley as well in the Championship, I should say. They weren't happy about it, but he's defied expectations. And he's, you know, he's kind of gone back to what Chris Wilder did. Gone back to the basics. Gone back to what the Blades fans expected. But it's just been a match made in heaven. It really has. So, fair play to them. For me, I think it's going to take a hell of a lot to stop Sheffield United getting promoted. So... Best of luck to them. They're, they're marching on and I think them and Burnley will be uh, have a P next to their name before too long. And the Clarets, of course, tight game, but they edged out Coventry City winning 1-0. Form at Turf Moor, or form in general, but particularly at Turf Moor has been nothing short of outstanding. Um, of course, just two defeats this season, both on the road against Watford and Sheffield United. And this one looked like potentially could have been a draw, but a late header from Jordan Bayer. Those mentality monsters just keep getting the results, keep finding those little margins to get the winning goals and get the points on the board. And obviously this was a late winner in in what was a close match. I think there was a little bit of hope that Coventry could cause a few problems. Of course, there's some injuries creeping in at Burnley now. Taylor Harwood Bellis is is facing a spell on the sidelines for a couple of months. But this was the perfect response. They kept Gioca as quiet. And the record this season is just simply phenomenal. Just keep on winning. I think that's what seven wins in a row now for Burnley. They they, they just seem unstoppable at the moment. No matter how you try and stifle them, they've just got complete control of football matches, and they will eventually grind you down. Oh, they will, without a doubt. I know it's eight wins in a row at home. You're probably right with the seven on the trot. It's certainly a good sequence going. But I mean, they've lost two games in 27. You know, the one point away from 60 in the middle of January is. It's remarkable. And, you know, people, I continue to see fans of other clubs saying, well, they've had parachute payments, it's easy, it's this, it's that. They don't realise just what Vincent Company has gone in there and done. 
yes, he's had a good you know level of financial support. They, they also have... recouped a lot of that money, though. They did. Sold Nick Pope, they sold Nathan yeah. Collins. Yep, without a doubt, there was others that went as well. You know, it I would argue they they probably were in a minus, a negative net spend for the summer. I wouldn't be surprised at all because you know they didn't really sign players that you know sort of broke the bank level. Twine was probably the biggest outlay. Yeah, and he, you know we've barely seen him, so you know he's completely changed the culture. He's changed the whole style of play. Brought a lot of players in from overseas, and that takes time. Company himself. Obviously, from overseas, yes, he knows English football from his playing days, but difference between playing and managing, especially in the championship. And, you know, he's looking very, very well poised to to win the title this season for me, I think. You know, when they play Sheffield United, whenever that is at Turf Moor, I'm not sure off the top of my head when that fixture is. That could be the game that I think, you know, potentially decides the title race with the way the two of them are pulling clear from the rest. But, you know, like you said, Coventry it was a potential banana skin that we know Coventry have the, the capability to cause some problems. But Burnley, they found a way, and that's what champions do. They do find a way. And I think I was looking at the stats earlier on. I think they've now scored 10 goals this season, Burnley, beyond the 75th minute, which is quite telling. That's what the best teams do. They find a way to get the job done. And obviously, since we last spoke, they went to Bournemouth uh, and you know made relatively light work of them in the FA Cup. But to be fair, was that really a shock, to be honest with you, with the way Bournemouth are, are going at the minute in the Premier League? Obviously, Burnley flying in the, in the division below, but... Certainly at the minute, playing a lot, lot better. So, for me, Burnley just continue to do what they do. Do they need anything else in this transfer window? Maybe a little bit more ammunition up front. There's a lot of talk of Antoine Semenyo, Michael Obafemi, potentially going in there. Potentially, I think they could benefit from another natural number nine, to be honest. Jay Rodriguez not really done a lot wrong this season, but probably could do with some support at the top end of the pit. A little bit more speed, maybe through the middle, would serve them well. So, they're looking a good side, Burnley, and as I say, I would, I would be astounded if they didn't win the league. I really would. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, and, and they've been so consistent for so long. So why would you doubt that? Far more interesting at the moment, George, is the playoff picture, and we've got a couple of teams that got some important results for their hopes of finishing the top six. First, Watford, who are now up to third, taking full advantage of Blackburn Rovers' drop points. Um, Frustrated by Blackpool, it has to be said, till the 72nd minute. And then a fantastic story, one that we love to cover when that's why we do this podcast for great stories like this. Toby Adeyemo, he got the opening goal. A new name to us and obviously everyone that follows the division, apart from, well, probably a new name to a lot of Watford fans as well. League debut, 17 years old, and it's absolute dream stuff. Four minutes after coming on, he taps in after a very good save from Maxwell to the Nine Martins. His reaction is absolutely fantastic. I think you'll everyone, most people remember the uh, viral reaction of Azazi Ragide that, that went absolutely uh, viral after Sheffield Wednesday beat Brighton in the FA Cup. Similar sort of level of things where he just looks at the bench with his hands on his head in disbelief that he's come on and scored a goal for the first team. And we love stories like that. Those are the sort of things we like to cover in the, in the Championship and the AFL. And that was obviously a very decisive goal. It broke the deadlock. Blackpool then had to throw bodies forward a little bit more. And Watford then sealed the deal with a late penalty from Ishmael Assar. And Watford are up to third without still really clicking into first gear, you feel. Probably not even in second gear at this point. Lots of injuries they've got at the moment, particularly in central midfield where Gosling is Imran loser, Chowdhury are all out at the moment. But whilst not cutting loose or being at their fluent best, which is, is understandable... 
They are winning games, particularly at Vicarage Road, and they are keeping clean sheets. So Slavin Bilic, I don't think he's done an amazing job, and yet the results have been better and they're up in third. So I find them a little bit difficult to gauge because I don't think they're the third best team in the league by any stretch. But you have to say that probably is a little bit ominous that there's more to come because if when they do start getting players back fit or they do start finding a little bit more fluency in their play, they could be a real force to, to be reckoned with in the playoffs. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, you think by literally two, three weeks to the Christmas period and Watford lost, obviously, at home to Millwall on Boxing Day. And, you know, the fans were, were absolutely raging with the lack of effort from the players, particularly. They were really disgusted by it. And then they went to Swansea four days later and got absolutely trounced 4-0. And since then, they've they've recorded back-to-back wins with, with successive clean sheets. And when you actually look at that, they, you know, they've now kept a very good tally of clean sheets in the last couple of months or so. So, Slovan Village is obviously doing something right, despite the, the mountain of injury problems. So, perhaps because of that, does he deserve a little bit more credit than he's, than he's been getting? Quite possibly. But I think this is quite an interesting start. More, more humorous, really, than quite amazing. I can't believe we're only two game weeks in to the Championship in 2023. Two game weeks. So everybody's played two matches. Watford are the only side who are the only side who have not conceded a goal already. Which is quite remarkable, really. After only two games, they're the only team left that have not conceded a goal this calendar year. After only two games. So they're obviously doing something right in that regard. You know, they've taken six points from six this, this calendar year, winning at Norwich on, you know, on the 2nd of January on Bank Holiday Monday almost a fortnight ago as we record this. So, you know, with the injury problems, they've had a solid start to the year. Obviously, they lost in the FA Cup, but obviously the league is what for the bread and butter this year. So, I do think they've got what it takes to finish in the playoffs. They should, from this point onwards, get stronger, you would like. You would expect them also to strengthen in January, potentially. You would do, without a doubt. And, you know, you look back to Watford since the, you know, game week 20, when they they beat Reading 2-0, in the game, um, the penultimate game prior to the World Cup pause, they've not dropped below fifth in the table since then. So, you know, they've been in the conversation for a good while now, for a good few weeks. So maybe, the, you know, they do deserve more credit than they've possibly been given because performances, yes, have been up and down. You expect a lot more from Watford in the sense of the players that they've got. But then you consider the injury crisis and, you know, any team in the world who loses a collection of key players will experience a drop-off in form. I mean, you go back to the COVID hit season, I think it was the full COVID hit season, when Liverpool were absolutely decimated by injuries. Look at the drop-off they suffered. It happens to any team. If you took, say, I don't know, say, I don't know, Martinelli, Saka, Ramsdale, Ben White, that lot out of Arsenal's team, you'd see a drop-off with them. So it is natural what Watford have experienced. But last couple of games, signs of improvements, back-to-back wins, back-to-back clean sheets. And you would only expect them to get better, as you say. Strengthened. Slavin Bilic has said he wants another wide player. He's registered his interest in Facundo Palestri at Manchester United. That's one, I think, to keep an eye on. He's only played once for Man United in more than two years since he joined them. And he might leave on loan. So that's one to look at if they get him. Quite an exciting young player. Played well last week in the, the Carabao Cup game against Charlton. Came on and got an assist for Man U. So that's one to, to look at. Could strengthen their attacking options. But overall... You know, get the few the injured players back. They've already got a good squad there, a good basis. And you know, when Watford put the mind to it, even though we've not seen it a lot this season, 
they have got the players to hurt you and potentially blow teams away. So a good win at the weekend, found a way to get the job done. The challenge for them now is can they maintain this? Back-to-back wins, it's a solid start to the new year. Yeah, another good win as well for Middlesbrough George. Their good momentum continues. The battle of the two top six contenders against Millwall. They ran out 1-0 winners. Marcus Force with the goal. Really good finish across the goalkeeper. Um, and that Middlesbrough just keep on going, don't they? they? They had a little bit of an injury scare with Darren Lenehan this week. Paddy McNair comes in, slots straight in. And they've got Cameron Archer. And obviously we've not spoke since he signed. I pro- probably think he's the best possible loan signing that a championship club could make in terms of quality of player available that realistic would go to a championship club. I think Andy suits exactly what Middlesbrough needed. I think if we, we were saying where could they improve, I think that number nine slot in front of Tuba Akpom was an area where there was room for improvement. Obviously, Matt Crooks has done well up there, but he's he's not a striker. We don't think he's a striker anyway, based on the portfolio of his career so far. Uh, Rodrigo Muniz has not done particularly brilliantly. Watmore's tended to play from the sides, as has Force. And it shows they can still contribute. They still get goals. When Archer's up and, and running, he'll be another match winner for Middlesbrough. And they might not be done in the window. So for me, Middlesbrough and West Brom, definitely my two bankers for the top six of, out of anyone. I would probably slightly go with Middlesbrough above, sorry, West Brom above Middlesbrough in my, um, in my if I had a £5 note, as you said earlier. But the winning games, the keeping clean sheets, the form at the Riverside Stadium has been excellent and that was a real problem for them under Chris Wilder and Leo Persevich earlier in the season. We've just got to hope that... I'll be, I'll be intrigued to see when they do lose a game. Obviously, they did lose at Burnley, in fairness, but if they do go on a game where they only... Draw, let's say they draw two and lose one out of three, how quickly they can get back on that winning run because it's been pretty faultless since Carrick came in. Pretty much the only game that comes to memory that they've lost was the apart from his first game of course which was a game of set pieces is the Burnley game and they responded yeah. instantly since then no shame equally in losing to top of the league away from home so I'm intrigued what happens with Middlesbrough when not the bubble bursts but there's a little bit of a dip which inevitably will yeah. come in the remainder of the season so we'll see how that goes but I have every confidence Middlesbrough are in the top four teams in the championship right now certainly and I think we'll see that through to the end of the season and they'll finish in the top six. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I mean, you've said there about you're intrigued to see how they possibly bounce back. And obviously, they bounced back after the Burnley game with four successive league wins. Obviously, they got absolutely thumped by Brighton in the FA Cup last weekend and they've bounced back from that with a win. You know, it, it can dent confidence, a heavy defeat like that. But seemingly, they've, they've found the resilience to get up and go again. Just accept they were beaten by a, a superior team on the day. They were, you know, they were they were thumped really. They can see in five at home, but they responded with a clean sheet. And you know that was quite a rarity as well for Middlesbrough. First clean sheet since the eighth of November. So that was probably a big. Was it really? Yeah. Wow. They, they'd only kept one clean sheet previously under Michael Carrick so far. So that's you know that's something that they can take a lot of confidence from moving forward, and you know potentially. Even though they won't be happy to have, you know, have bowed out in the long run, the fact that they're out of the FA Cup potentially could serve them well. Maybe they haven't got the distraction of that getting in the way a little bit. So, you know, beating a team like Millwall, obviously got the same ambition. That you know is a is a big step forward for, for Middlesbrough. And you look forward to their next crop of games. They've got Sunderland away next Sunday. A big big game that one. You feel. Then they've got Watford at home. Then Blackpool at home. Then Cardiff away. And then Sheffield United at home. So. 
Yeah, Sheffield United away, I should say. So, you know, the next five games, they've got quite a mixed bag of teams that are, you know, striving for what they're after, a team in the top two, and then ones that are struggling at the bottom. So this could be quite a big period for Middlesbrough in the sense that they've got to come up against very different tests. And this is what Michael Carrick could be looking for. How can they go about these different tests and what sort of level are they at? Cameron Archer coming in, really good signing, obviously came off the bench uh, on Saturday. There will be more, I think, before the window shuts. Personally, I think they could possibly do with another midfield player in there. Personally, in terms of maybe a number six or a number eight, I think they do need something like that just to just to strengthen them that little bit. There's been talk of, for obvious reasons, with Michael Carrick's connections to Manchester United, Zidane Iqbal, the young lad there, he's he wants to leave on loan this month and there has been speculation about it. Um, he's only 19, but quite highly rated by Man United, so that could be one to keep an eye on. But overall, I don't think they need a lot. Obviously, Archer coming in is a big boost. They've got it done nice and early in the window. He will get up to speed. He will go in and he will lead that line, you would expect, like he did for Preston last season. So there is a lot to like about what Borough are doing. So the challenge for them is, can they maintain this run of form? But I'm very intrigued. You know, the next four weeks or so, as I said a moment ago, they've got a real varied crop of fixtures in terms of promotion chasers, ones battling relegation and ones that are seemingly over the crest and heart, uh, over the hill and far away. So big period for Borough, but a big win on Saturday, big clean sheet. And fingers crossed they can keep it up because they're on a real roll at the minute. Four wins on the drop. Sunderland won Swansea City three. A game that very much swung on a red card this one with Luke 9 getting sent off. What did you... I, I don't think it's a red card, personally. It looked a little bit harsh. I think a yellow... It's, it's, it's the typical orange card, isn't it? Where it's not mm. quite strong enough for a red. Probably a yellow's not strong enough. But I think a booking would have sufficed. I think there was a little bit of a retaliation aspect because um, I can't remember who the Swansea player is that he took down, but they just had a challenge on a Sunderland player higher up the pitch. It was Ahmad, wasn't it? There was a, a challenge on him by the Swansea player. He then 09 went and sived down that Swansea player. So I think there was a little bit of that, that retaliation aspect that played in the thinking of the referee. Undoubtedly made a big difference in the game. Um, of course, Swansea was still clinical in their finishing. Joel Perot on the score sheet from close range. Dan Neal got an equaliser and with the sense of injustice of the red card as well, you thought, could Sunderland nick it? Um, it would be, you know, Swansea have conceded plenty of goals away from home this season, but instead it was an instant response from Swansea from getting paid back, the disappointment of that, Liam Cullen making it 2-1 from close range and then uh, a rocket strike that did take a minor deflection from Ollie Cooper, which won the game. Two teams which, just on the edge of the top half, George, in 10th and 11th, and I couldn't tell you right now who will finish higher. And I think I will be very interested to see what the squads look like after January. Obviously, there's a lot of speculation about Michael Obafemi from Swansea. He's not particularly playing, but how could they use that money if they did sell him to reinvest? Equally, Sunderland definitely need a replacement for Ellis Sims to come in. So I, I, I can't. I'm, these two are ticking along nicely, but I, I couldn't tell you who will definitely finish above one another. I probably lean towards Sunderland right now. But I think both teams have got the potential to finish, you know, a respectable 13th, 14th, or maybe really go and knock on the door of the of the playoff places, depending on what is done in the final two weeks of January. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Both are capable of potentially punching above their weight, I would argue. Well, they've both been in the top six this season, haven't they? They have. Sunderland, obviously, have been, prior to, prior to Saturday, they've been on quite a good run, you know, 
going inside with Ross Stewart's return from injury. Obviously, he'd been banging the goals in. For Swansea, you know, they've got a reliable source of gold in Joel Perot, which will always serve them well. So they've both got goal getters in there that you know you you know you're gonna rely on to get the job done. So both are capable. But Swansea, I think the biggest concern for me is with them, their form is so patchy. That's the real concern. Their form is so hit and miss. You know, they've only won two games since the 23rd of October. That on Saturday at Sunderland was their first away win since the 5th of October. So, you know, you look at it and Swansea do struggle for consistency quite a lot. But at the, having said that, recently when they beat Watford 4-0, and then they went to Sunderland and won 3-1. The only game in between that was a 2-1 defeat to Burnley and there's absolutely no disgrace in losing to them at the moment. So you could argue that perhaps things are beginning to turn the corner in regards to consistency, maybe. So I'm really intrigued to see what they do before the window's out. I do think they need to add one or two players. Certainly, I think they need to try and get some support in the round Joel Piro because, you know, he can't do it all on his own. So really intrigued to see what they do. But Russell Martin, you know, there's been talk of him losing the dressing room and things like that. And there's been, you know, there's been conversations about contracts not being, you know, adhered to. I think Ryan Manning was one that wanted to leave. Forgive me if I've got that wrong. I could be completely wrong and made that up. But I'm pretty sure I did read that. So, you know, it's not seemingly had the easiest of challenges to overcome in the last few weeks. So it'll be interesting what they do come the end of this month. They do need some more bodies in just to strengthen the squad. But with somebody like Perot, I think you've always got a chance of, of finding a way to get results on the board. So going to be interesting for Swansea over the next few weeks, see what they do. But I wouldn't rule out a playoff tilt just yet, even if they're not you know, ones that you consider at the very forefront of the ones of the chasing pack that you would consider. But they're only three points off. There's a long, long way to. There's virtually a half season to go, really, minus about four games. So, long way to go. A lot of football to be played. See where they can go. But the main thing for them is just trying to find some consistency. Absolutely. And then finally, Bristol City 4, Birmingham City 2. A first win at home since October the 12th for Bristol City. A three-month period, which I hadn't realised it had been quite that long since they'd won at Ashton Gate. Good to see Antoine Semenyo back in the goals. Free and free for him. Another um, goal for him in this game, which sees him, has seen him get back on track after finishing last season so positively, so strongly. There was transfer interest. Few injuries this season. He's just not quite been able to get a run of games. And now, three goals in three. Some good finishes. Looking more like the player he finished last season as. So, if they can keep hold of him in January, which I think they probably will, given the price tag that will be on him and the, the recent injuries. I think he'll probably stay at, at Bristol City for the rest of the season. But the star of this game was undoubtedly Cameron Pring, who has been getting a lot of plaudits for his performances since the World Cup break, playing in that left wing-back role. And he's been fantastic, and he was the chief creator here. He set up Semenyo's goal, which he just had to nudge in, very similar to a goal Narky Wells scored a couple of weeks ago from memory. And then the third goal, Mark Sykes' first of this brace, really good, incisive wing play as well driving down the line, gets it across goal and, and it's an easy finish from outside in what was his first goal for the club before he added a second later on in the game. Four goals for Bristol City. Birmingham, the form hasn't been great recently as we covered on the podcast um, in uh, a couple of weeks ago. Definitely being let down by a lack of squad depth. Players probably running out of steam a little bit. 
They brought in Redicadra this week and he scored to make it 4-2. I think he could be a, a good signing for them. Not immediately obvious where he'll fit into a, a 3-5-2 system. And that was probably why he didn't get as many minutes at Sheffield United. But clearly someone that, that can give them a different dimension at the top end of the pitch. A bit of pace, which Hogan aside, they don't really have in the, their attacking roster unless Tahit Chong's playing out of position. So I think he's a good addition, but they've been a lot more leaky defensively. They've, they've not been as tight. I think some of their better players that were lifting the quality of this team are, are looking a bit tired. And Bristol City took, a four, took full advantage with four really good goals. They did. And, you know, for fairness to Bristol City, because they needed a home win. They desperately needed a home win. And the, the unfortunate thing for Birmingham is they were on the receiving end of a, of a first real drubbing that Bristol City had been able to, you know, fully commit this season. And for Birmingham, all of a sudden, I'm just beginning to get a little bit worried about them. I said only probably three, four weeks ago that I didn't think at all that they'd be dragged into any sort of relegation scrap. I watched their 3-2 win over Reading. I don't know, mid-November time. I'm not sure when it was off the top of my head, but no, in fact, it might have been, was it just after the World Cup break or before? It might have been after, actually, come to think of it now. So, you know, at that point, they were, you know, riding the crest of a wave. There were only a handful of points shy of the playoff places, looking really strong, going from strength to strength. And, you know, over the last few weeks, they've, they've fallen off the edge of a cliff, really. And I'm not quite sure what the reason behind it is because they were looking so solid, really, you know, quite vibrant going forward. They were getting better and better in that department. Um, it was the 16th of December, I should say, when they when they lost to Reading, uh, when they beat Reading. That was the last win. Um, that took them to seventh in the table. So, you know, just a week or so before Christmas. Since then, they've lost four in a row and they've only scored three goals in that time, one of which was a penalty. So, they have really lost their way in the last few weeks. They've dropped from 7th to 18th within four matches. So it is a concern for John Eustace. And, you know, they've got to try and do something else, I think, before this month is out. I think for me, they need to try and get a goal scorer from somewhere to support the likes of Troy Deeney. You know, he can't do it all on his own. A lot of his goals are penalties, to be fair to him. So, you know, they've got to try and do something in that regard. And they've just got to try and do something as well at the same time to try and stem the flow of, of losing matches. So quite a bit of work to be done for John Eustace, I would argue, over the next couple of weeks before the window shuts. Kadra, even though you've said quite rightly, it is difficult to pinpoint exactly where he will fit into a to a system of its type that, that Birmingham play with. I do think it is a good signing, to be fair. You know, we saw at Blackburn what he's capable of at this level. He's a good, tidy little player. You know, he, he scored a really good goal, actually, at the weekend after coming off the bench. So, a positive first induction for him. But you look forward the next few games. And they've they've got Preston at home next weekend, then Norwich away. You know, not easy games at all. So, difficult period for Birmingham. Excuse me, yeah. I'm yawning my head off. Difficult Sorry for boring you. Yeah, difficult. I'm falling asleep. Difficult period for Birmingham coming up. I thought it was me that was meant to be sleep deprived. I know, it's you, isn't it? Not me. But, um, yeah, going back to that point, Preston at home. We know Preston are far superior away than they are at home. Norwich at home in a couple of weeks. That could be really tough considering the way, you know, what we saw against Preston on Saturday. So, big period coming up for the Baggies. And I've got to be honest with you, at the minute, they only, uh, you know, they seem to be heading in one direction. It's not the one they want to be in. Absolutely not. Two draws in the championship. Reading two, Queen's Park Rangers. Really great strike from Jeff Hendrick. That was that was my highlight from this game. Really, really crisp strike. 
He hadn't scored a brace since 2015. So fantastic strike to, to open the scoring and then a tap in from close range for the second. But QPR got themselves back in the game. Tyler Roberts um, with the first of which, which was very well taken. A lovely little Cruyff turn in there to fire past um, Joe Lumley. And then an equaliser, which got Neil Critchley's side a point. And then Hull 1, Huddersfield 1. The Tigers rescuing a point very late on in the 98th minute with a, a really good finish from Oscar Estupinan. Um, he lick f- had put Huddersfield in front and it, it looked like Mark Fotheringham was going to get another really important three-point haul for Huddersfield. They've certainly been more competitive, I think, Huddersfield in, in recent games, as we spoke about a little bit earlier. And they've obviously done some early, early January business with, with Matt Loughton, Martin Wycorn coming in. A bit more championship experience, so be interesting to see how they get on. And that rounds up this weekend's championship action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Now, George, to mark the end of the podcast, we're going to do our shocks and bankers, as always. Looking ahead to next weekend's action, what have you got for me? Well, for a banker, I'm going to follow suit from the weekend we've just had, and I'm going to go for Sheffield United at home to Hull City. Um, Hull, to be fair to them, have steadily improved under Liam Racina in the last few weeks, to give them credit. They have made you know, positive strides. But Sheffield United at home, for me, they're just a different force to be reckoned with and I just can't see anything other than the Blades win on Friday night at Bramall Lane. For my shock, I'm going to take us into the Saturday games. And you know what? I'm going to go a little bit brave and, you know, I've just got a feeling that Wigan could spring a surprise at home to Luton. Obviously, that late point at Cardiff could give them a massive confidence booster. Um, Obviously, they meet each other twice this coming week, don't forget because obviously they've got an FA Cup replay to contest in midweek, so they're going to be going up against each other twice in just a few days. So I'm going to go for Wigan as a shock for this weekend to spring a bit of surprise at the DW and get a very rare home win. I'm going to go for Watford as my banker to beat Rotherham. Obviously, Rotherham had a fantastic result of the weekend. Of course they did, but that doesn't change that they are incredibly flaky and leaky on the road. They're, the bulk of their points this season have come at home and I don't think a, a really good home win changes the fact that I think they're a very poor outfit away from home. Watford, very good at Vicarage Road. As we said, not at their sparkling best right now. A lot of injuries, but I still think they've got enough firepower to cause Rotherham problems and get over the uh, get over the line. So my banker is Watford and my shock is Bristol City to beat Blackburn Rovers. Blackburn haven't really been on a major run of successive defeats, so I am wary of that in one sense. Whenever they... T- been badly beaten up. They've tended to respond, albeit the Burnley Preston um, result was was obviously a bad couple of results sandwiched either side of the World Cup break. But I think Bristol City are starting to. I'm, I'm very. I say this, but Bristol City does always feel like when there's a positive result, it's one step forward and then two steps back. But they have got the firepower to cause problems. Semenyo is gives them a different option in attack, and when you've got Wells and Conway contributing as well as they have this season. Alex Scott pulling those strings in midfield. I think it could probably be another high-scoring affair because Blackburn haven't been great defensively recently and equally Bristol City have, have never been good defensively under Nigel Pearson. But I just have a sense that Blackburn are a little bit brittle at the moment and I think Bristol City could take advantage. So my banker is Watford to beat Rotherham United and Bristol City to beat Blackburn Rovers as my shock. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast on the feed, wherever you get your podcasts from, and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram as well, at ChampChatPod24. And a huge thanks, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Please make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. 
Thank you for listening. Have a great week and we'll catch you again next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.